Psalm 51. We are going to be learning about this psalm this morning. Now the psalms were the hymn book for the New Testament church. It was a place where they learned to grow near and dear to God, learned what things to do, what things not to do. Um, These were the things they recited as a church. Um, It's interesting that this is one of the very few psalms that actually has a specific origin. Its origins, Psalm 51, are a direct correlation or a a direct um, response to David after his sin with Bathsheba. Who knows anything about David in the Old Testament? King David. I don't know about you guys, but I would love to be called a man after God's own heart. Amen? Thank you. Thank you. The, The boy in the room gets it, guys. Good Lord. You guys are dead. Wake up! All right, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, um, you guys stay in Psalm 51. I'm going to read uh, 2 Samuel 11, uh, 2 through 5. Just kind of give you guys a baseline story before we jump into uh, David's response. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. FYI, they didn't have HVAC in the ancient Near East. And so... The roof was the coolest part. So uh, on a midsummer's night, they might uh, women might go on top of their house to bathe. It was a normal situation. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, "She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite." Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am preggers. Could you imagine David at that point? Like, I'm sorry, what? And, and, and you would think David in all of his wisdom, and if you know anything about King David, he's a very, very wise king. He was a strong king. He had the hand of the Lord on his life from a very young age. Everything that the Lord allowed him to do, you would think at this point, okay, he screwed up, I need to immediately go to God, but, but, un, uh, but like a lot of us, he made things worse by overthinking it. So his thought was, just kind of giving you guys a paraphrased look here. So he said, okay, well, I'm going to cover this sin up. Who, anyone ever try to cover up a sin? I don't know about you guys, when you were, when you were a kid, thank you, Scott, he's Canadian, he covers up a multitude of sins. Um, he's... Uh, can you imagine when you were a kid and you got caught and you're like, um, um, there was one time, no joke, okay, this is, oh, so dumb. There was one time when I was a kid, I got uh, put in in-school suspension because of my mouth. I know it's really hard for you guys to believe, but my mouth got me in trouble. I know, I can hear, I can hear the gasps in your voice. Um, but I went home and, I mean, of course they call your parents, let them know what happened. And I went home and my dad was a pastor, dude, and he played college ball, and he could whoop a butt like it, okay? All right, so I got, I got spanked with a six-foot, two-inch wooden canoe oar. Anybody ever been there, okay? And so I was like, oh, I'm a dead man. So I get home, and mom's like, no, you need to go over to the church. We lived in what's called a parsonage, so it's a house right next to the church, as if your life wasn't as abnormal as could possibly be as a pastor child. You now have to live in a house next to the church, so you really never have privacy. It's awesome. So mom's like, you need to go over to your dad's office, and you need to talk to him. We're like, really don't want to. And so I'm sort of thinking in my head, how, if I run away, how fast could I get, you know? Um, and so we, I go over there, 
And I mean, it was bad. I'm just sitting there like, like dad's like staring at me. I'm sitting in the seat. He's like, so what happened? I was like, dad, you're not, I mean, I'm, I'm just a genius at this point, guys. You're not going to believe this. There's another kid in my school named Justin Stroop. I thought I was a genius. They got the wrong dude, okay? And <laughs> I don't even think I got a spanking from that one. Just cause I, I think my dad gave me, like, like style points or something. It was just that, that stupid of a lie. But David is trying to cover up his sin. So not only does he, so he, he says, all right, let's bring her husband home, okay? Because I don't want to father this kid. That's it's a, it's a, it's an issue. So he brings her husband home, and, and it's basically like, hey, man, you get a little mini vacation from war. He was off at war, and you get to go hang out with your wife. And in that time, this is where they would go, and they would have relations with their wife. And, but he, being a noble man, said, I ain't doing all that. My comrades are off at war. How could I dare go and do the thing that they cannot? So he literally slept at his door the entire weekend and then went back to war. He was like, stinking nobility. So he does something even stupider. He says, all right, this is a pretty heavy war right now. I want all my generals to put Uriah the Hittite at the front of the lines, knowing that he's going to die. And he did. He was killed in war. And then when he was dead, he immediately married her to try and rectify the situation. Well, here's the deal. Shortly thereafter, a prophet named Nathan came to him and told him what was what. Can you imagine a prophet of God coming up to you and saying, I know what you did. I know who you, do it with, who you did it with. I know why you did it. Now let's, let's talk about it. I'd be like, I, uh, I don't want to. You know, could you, could you even imagine trying to discuss that? So not only did you, did you commit adultery, but you've also murdered now. If you, look at the, if you look at the context of the passage, Bathsheba, she didn't say no because he was the king, but it didn't say that Bathsheba and David slept with each other. It said David slept with Bathsheba for all intents and purposes. He raped her. Okay, So you've got all these things going on here that's pretty disgusting, and yet somehow David is still the man after God's own heart. Why? Has anyone ever messed with a uh, pressure washer? Anyone have a pressure washer? Aren't those things like the coolest things ever? I mean, are, it's like therapy. My father-in-law got me one for Christmas, and I think it was so that I, could, I would give his back, um, but we're not going to get into that. Um, so it's one of those electric ones, and I was like, man, this thing's probably like cheap, and it's like garbage, nowhere near as good as his. So I plug it up, I'm like, whatever. I've got to clean my garage door. Because I'm a woodworker, and it was literally coated in wood, or coated in sawdust. It was, it was horrible. If you ever see my garage door, good. I'm glad most of you guys have it. Um, I, I, it that thing was amazing. I'm sitting here like, oh, I'm like freaking out. And I'm down here. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's do the driveway. So I'm like, oh, have you guys ever done that? It's the, most, it's the most satisfying thing on earth because it's like, this driveway was black, and now it's not. I didn't even know that was the color of the driveway. It's amazing. And then I did my back deck, or my, my, my back porch, and Sam, my wife, she did, the, she did the front porch, and it was just like, this is awesome. But it's interesting because have you ever driven down a neighborhood or in a, in a subdivision or wherever you live, and you, you've seen someone pressure washing before? Who's ever seen someone pressure washing before? 
Okay, but you've never seen someone out there with a bucket and a mop on their driveway thinking they're going to get that clean, right? Like, you'd be like, oh, they escaped from a certain place. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is wrong with them? It's not going to happen because a pressure washer, some of you guys out there are like, hey, I did that last week, okay. Um, A pressure washer is meant to apply pressure to a situation in which the muscle from your arm just can't get to. Can't, it can't work. Guys, a pressure washer is a lot like God in our lives. It brings to the surface and it gets in there and gets all the things that need to be ripped out. See, I, I on my own can't rip out the sin in my life. I have to have Jesus. I have to have the Lord to do that. Because I, on my own, am sinful. It's who we are. Raise your hand if you're sinful. If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar, and you should raise your hand, okay? That's what we do. We are sinful. But it's interesting, because as Nathan calls out David, he pins the words to Psalm 51. So I'm going to read this for you guys, and then we're going to unpack it. We see David give four different responses in this chapter. So you all follow with me. And just kind of understand David's heart. Okay, he's literally on his knees. Understanding, thinking that this could be the last few breaths of his life. God has taken people home for less. Okay? Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and just when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me the wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, and you who are God my Savior, and and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord. And my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offering. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. I want to break this down into four major sections, okay? Think about this as we go through it, okay? So the first thing that David does is he he recognizes, obviously he recognizes his sin. And he is completely helpless. I want you guys to think about that for a minute. Have you ever been in a situation where you are just helpless? Anybody? It's typically in those situations that bad things come out of my mouth. Okay? I do stupid things. But David, on the contrary, 
he falls face first to God. And he says in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. He turns and shifts back to God. There it is. He turns back to God. And what he's focusing on is not himself. He's not even focusing on his sin. He's focusing on God. He says, God in your mercy. God, you are merciful. According to your mercy, blot out my transgressions. Blot out my mistakes. The second thing that he does is he prays for cleansing. This is really, this is really interesting. A lot of us don't, we don't, we don't pray for cleansing. We just, want, we just want it to be done and over with, and we just pray that the consequences leave as quick as possible. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I'm going to jump down to verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. So hyssop was a branch that they used in the ancient Near, Near East, and they would use it when someone in the house had died. And so they would use this branch, the priests would use this branch, and they would sprinkle blood on the door frame and on the door of this house. And what that blood would signify is that this house is now clean. Because the way it worked was when a, when a body died, you don't enter that house again until it is clean. So can you understand the ramifications of what David is saying? He is not just saying, clean me and, 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 and you, know, you know, take my sin from me. He's saying, I am dead. I am worthless. I am unclean. No one should enter my sight. God, you shouldn't even look at me. He's saying, God, cleanse me with hyssop. Be my priest. Sprinkle that blood on my door. Let me come back to you. Make me clean, and I will be whiter than snow. Can anyone think of something that's whiter than snow? Not the yellow snow, but snow. Can anyone think of anything that's whiter? When you wake up, any of you guys kind of from, from the north? We got any Yankees in here? Love that. That's awesome. That's awesome. We pray for you guys daily. Um, can, can, you ima- can you, of course you can imagine, remember kind of when, when you would wake up on a crisp, beautiful winter morning and you'd walk outside and the trees look like crystal and the ground is just white and the, and the, and the evergreens just have, have snow-laden limbs on them. I lived in Illinois for six years, and I hated the cold, every minute of it. But I'll say it was beautiful. I may have been layered 20 shirts deep, but it was gorgeous. There's not much that is whiter than snow, more pure than snow. He said, cleanse me. Cleanse me. The third response we see from David, he confesses the seriousness of his sin. Do we recognize the seriousness of our sin? Do we recognize that when you sin, and now, now, before you guys get mad at me and are like, you're just pointing a finger at me, no, this is for me more than it is for you. This is extremely convicting for me. Because I suffer from this, this horrible disease called leg and mouth syndrome. Anybody else got that? Yeah, if, yeah, if, you, don't, if you don't, I'll call you out, okay? Um, we, a lot of us have foot and mouth syndrome, and we constantly stick our foot in our mouth. or are constantly saying stupid things, and it's the story of my life, okay? But do we ever recognize the seriousness of our sin? 
In our culture today, it's easy for us to walk around and to say, oh, it was, it was not that big of a deal. It's cool. Just be cool. It was just, I was telling a lie so that their feelings wouldn't be hurt. God, sin is sin. And it is a direct, according biblically and theologically, sin is a direct attack on God. Because you think yourself better than God. That hurts. That hurts. He recognized the seriousness of his sin. I want to I read a couple of verses that really show this. Uh, let's start in verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. I am a people pleaser by nature. Anybody else out there people pleasers? Let's be honest. Um, and, and I may act like I don't care sometimes, but I really am a people pleaser. When I do something stupid, how many of you guys are there with me? You're just constantly thinking about it. Like, oh my goodness, I am dumb. I cannot believe I did that. I just, I'm constantly thinking of a way. How can I fix this? How can I remedy the situation? What can I do to make it better than what it was? It's just who I am. I'm constantly thinking about it. And I'm thinking David was the same way. Because David's sitting there like, I can't stop thinking about this sin. And guys, if you're a Christian today, that should be, that should be you. That should be you. If you have uncleanliness in your life, and believe you me, again, I'm talking to myself. If you got uncleanliness in your life, you should not stop thinking about that. It should, it should mess with you. It should ruin your day every day until it is taken care of. And a lot of us walk around with this garbage in our lives thinking that we're just gonna, we're gonna have all the blessings that God wants to give us, but God isn't gonna use you to your full potential when you have a mountain standing in the way. God can't look at sin. It's a direct violation and attack on God's nature. So his sin is constantly running in his mind. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So he's recognizing that it's not, there are people that were hurt in the situation, but it's not about them. It's not about me. It's about you, God. Have, any, have we ever had that God-centered uh, just confession? Have we ever done that? God-centered repentance? Because so many times, I know me, uh, uh, repentance looks like this for me, okay? So, so God, man, I, I really blew it. But you know, if Sam was over here and she just really ticked me off because she did this and then my mom texted me and then it just, it just a whole spiral and I got really mad and you got anyone been there? Try and pawn it all off on someone else? Good Lord, I'm there all the time. And then it hits me. It's not about you. It's not about them. It's about God. It's about God. God is who you offended. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. So not only is he recognizing that he has in born sin in his life he was born into it okay and a lot of people might read that as a um excuse maybe david was saying well i would you know i'm just a guy you know what i'm saying because they've been there okay 
That's not at all what he's saying. In the context of this passage, he's actually using that argument against himself. He's saying by that, if it were not for you, God, I would do way worse. I've been sinful from my mother's womb. And then he says, but then you have taught me. You have taught me in the secret place. He is acknowledging what God has done for him in his life. At this point, he has faced a nine foot four giant at 14 years old. Um, it's kind of a beast. Okay, that's kind of cool. He is, he is now king of Israel. He is the most powerful man. He's one of the most powerful men on earth at this point. Okay? He has anything at his disposal. He is the Holy Spirit of God. He has God's hand on his life. He has got the blessing of God. And he has got the kingdom of God. Like, right there. Like, are you kidding me? And he's giving God all the glory for it. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how great you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many cars or how big your house is. You are not good enough to earn God's love on your own. And you need to give God credit for that. Number four. The fourth response we see from David. And this is beautiful. He begs for renewal. He begs for renewal. Let's start in verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He just wants the joy. I think, I don't know about you, but I find it interesting that he did not ever once in this psalm, ask God to take away his sexual lust. He never once asked God to take away his desire to kill. Did you guys find that interesting? Maybe it's because he understands that the problem is not on the surface. What he did with Bathsheba and Uriah and trying to cover it all up, that's all, just, that's all just surface. The issue is so much deeper. And he says it. It's interesting. Check this out. In verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain it. He has lost that joy. He has lost that joy. I, I get so jealous sometimes. So the teenagers, some of these teenagers that we take to different events and some of them that feel the Holy Spirit prick them and they accept Jesus as their Savior. And for those few months, four, five, maybe six months tops, those kids are on fire. Anyone ever seen that? Isn't that just amazing? These teenagers are like, whoa, I'm going to charge hell with a water pistol. Isn't that crazy? Like, this, it's awesome to see them like that. And I get jealous because I'm like, I want that again. Where did my joy go? Where's my joy? Do we ever ask God to restore to us the joy of our salvation? The joy of recognizing that you can't do it on your own. The joy of realizing that God is there. And God likes you. And God loves you. He may not need you, but He wants you. Do we ever pray that? That's a weird prayer. 
But when you think about it, God, grant me the joy of my salvation and give me the spirit to sustain it. There it is. Don't let me lose it. Don't let me lose it. And I tell our teenagers all the time on Sunday night, you may make a decision tonight and merge, but just know tomorrow you're going back to school. And that's where it's really going to matter. Because you can tell me all day long that you want Jesus. You can tell me all day long that you're sad for what you've done. You can tell me all day long that you're repentant for your actions. But the definition of repentance isn't just asking forgiveness. It literally means a 180 degree turn. Sometimes life sucks. I just be honest. A lot of times it does. But we need that renewal. And it doesn't necessarily mean coming to church, although it's a great place to get that. It doesn't necessarily mean, well, I put in my 10% in the offering plate. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean I sang the songs I was supposed to sing. I, 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 even, I even attend my small group regularly. I don't really get involved but I attend. That's not what it means. It means you grow. You get that joy. You sustain it. You were renewed. Because life will take that from you and Satan wants to take that from you every single day. Guys, I love this last part. This, this, honestly, I've, I've read Psalm 51 a lot over the years. Um, but I never caught this last part, so I want to I read it one more time. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offering. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you God, will not despise. I used to play with Transformers as a kid. Oh, let's be honest. I still play with them. Who's, who, who still plays with toys? Come on, guys. Let's be honest. Wilmy? Yeah, thank you. I'll call you out, bro. My Transformer buddy, okay? I love Transformers. They're just genius. Who, who doesn't like to take something that goes from, like, this cool helicopter into this bad-looking robot? That's so cool. No? Am I a weirdo? I don't care. I don't care. Okay? I love them, and I collected them from a kid from, from, from an early age. I've got, I probably have 100 of them, 100, 150 of them. I got a ton of them, and I love it. But when I was growing up, I, would, I, I wouldn't use, I'm like a typical guy. I'm like, I don't need directions, okay? I can put this thing together on my own. And so I would get in there, and I would start putting this thing, I'm like, bah! Bah! broke it! You know what I'm saying? Like, any of you guys have kids that just like break their toys in the first 30 seconds they have them? Yeah, that, yeah, thank you. Yes. And so that was me. That was me. I would break like every single toy I had. I'd be in there and dad's like, will you just read the instructions? I'm like, no, I don't want to. I can do this on my own. And so I would, I would, I would bust an arm off, but you could still put it back in the little socket. Or sometimes I would even actually break the piece trying to put it back in the socket. And then I'd be so angry. But then I realized two things. One, there's an instructions book. There is an instructions. I had to like dig in the box and find it. 
And he'd show you how to put it back in there without breaking it. That's humbling. But then there was something else that was really cool. There are manufacturers that make spare parts. Isn't that cool? I was like, my poor dad probably spent a small fortune on buying new manufactured parts because I would break them. But in your life, you have both of those things. You have an instruction manual. It's called your Bible. When something comes loose, when something's out of socket, you just read that instruction manual, and it's going to show you how to get that back in there within reason. However, we also have a God that can fix anything. We have a God that can mend shattered lives. A lot of you in here probably struggle with that. Struggle with past regret. Struggle with things that you're currently going through. I love when Chip says, you're either in a storm, you're just leaving one, or you're about to go through one. That's life. That's life. Life brings storms, and storms break things. But here's the wonderful thing. There's a God that can sustain all of it. There's a God that not only can fix you, but he can make you stronger than steel. There's a God that can mend your broken spirit, can mend your broken bones, can mend your broken will, and can turn you into an incredible, incredible vessel of the Holy Spirit. The problem is not when we sin, but what do we do with that sin once it's committed? This isn't a message on stopping sinning, okay? That's, that's dang near impossible to do. We're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. It's all in how you respond to that. Are you going to respond like David, where you're on your knees, and you're saying, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Or are you going to respond the way maybe you have been for years and sweep it under the rug? Something that marriage has taught me is that there are very, very different kinds of personalities. I grew up in a under-the-rug type sweeping in situation. You know what I'm saying? And it was a situation. And once or twice a year, there would be an explosion. Because that stuff never got dealt with. And that's, that's, that's fine. That's the way some people deal with things. Is it unhealthy or is it healthy? No. But neither is key lime pie, okay? <laughs> My wife is the type of individual where we're going to talk about it. I'm like, I don't want to. She's like, oh, you're going to. And, and I remember the first couple years of our marriage. I mean, it was, and I was, oof, the arrogance was strong in this one. And Sam, as steadfast as she always has been, I mean, she would just stand there. She said, we're going to talk about this. I don't want to. And we would, it was bad. We'd go back and forth. We'd go back and forth. But I had to learn that I have to, I have to talk about those things. I have to bring some of those issues to the surface. I have to be honest with myself. I have to be honest with those around me. And I have to be honest with God, as if God didn't know. Guys, it's hard. Can I be honest with you? It's re- I'm sure every single, every single one of you guys out there, 
when you guys, you guys who are married, raise your hand if you're married, okay? Have you ever had an argument with your wife that was just awesome? There you go. That, uh-uh, stop it, James. They don't exist. They're always awkward because you're like, ugh, I don't want to do this today. I don't want to deal with all this, okay? I know I spent too much in tools. I get it, okay? I don't, I don't like having those conversations. However, to grow in a relationship, they have to be had. This is David having one of these conversations with God. And he's saying, I screwed it up. I messed up big time. Renew me. When I mess up with my wife, I have to go to her and I have to say, I'm sorry. Accept me. Forgive me. Guys, how can we possibly expect our horizontal relationships to work when our vertical relationship with God is jacked up? It's never going to happen. You're never going to have a perfectly meaningful relationship on earth. A fulfilled relationship on earth without your relationship with God being on the up and up. I'm not saying it's a perfect relationship, but you're in the process. Guys, I want you to focus on three things today. If you're taking notes, this is where it's at right here. It's not about what you're doing. It's not about necessarily the sin that you're committing. It's about how you respond to it. You need to respond to it in these three ways. You need to turn back to God or turn to God. Maybe, I'm not stupid enough to think that everyone in this room knows Jesus. Maybe this is your morning to come to him and say, I, I'm, I don't even know Jesus, so I'm just acting like a sinner. I'm just acting like sinners do. You're trying to figure out why you can't do life better? It's because you don't have the Holy Spirit to help you with that. Maybe today is your day to come to him. Or turn back to God. Maybe you've been running. You've been running 100 miles an hour, and all you had to do was look behind you and see that God was there the whole time. Running from him, but you can't outrun God. Two, you need to recognize the deeper issue. Recognize the deeper issue. It's not about the sin. It's about the lack of joy in Christ in your life. It's about the fact that you have lost that joy of your salvation. You have lost the recognition of the seriousness of your sin. And that deeper issue has allowed darkness to creep in. And allowed your mind to be taken over. And and Satan has been feeding you lies like it's okay. It's okay to run after that. It's okay to do that. God's, God's going to take his time giving you an answer. You just go ahead and take care of business. Guys, we have to recognize the deeper issue. And we have to cry out to God to pluck it out. And number three, in this broken and contrite heart that we b- bring to God, this humility We have to live in this humility for the rest of our lives. That is not easy to do. That is against our nature. That is against our flesh. But you have got to live in humility, not only for those around you, but in God. God is the most important. You live in humility to God. Because it is for God 
It is because of God that you are here. It is because of God that you have the Holy Spirit. It is because of God that you can worship Him. And it is because of God that you are forgiven. Guys, as we're about to dismiss, we'll have one more song playing in a minute. I need you guys to know that there is a life with God and full of problems is still a thousand times better than a perfect life without Him. Let me say that one more time. A flawed, messed up, jacked up life with Jesus is still a thousand times better than a perfect life without him. I want to give you guys the opportunity today. I'm not going to give an altar call, but I want to give you the opportunity today in your chair to think about these things in our life that are stirring us that are messing with us, the things that are causing us to stumble, the things that we need to ask God to rip out of our hearts. And here's the crazy thing. Has anyone ever seen a sculpture be sculpted? See one? Anyone seen hammer and chip? It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's impressive to see them do that. They take a rock or a stone or whatever they choose to use, and they, and they start chinking away at it. And they start taking away the things that don't need to be there. For my sake, I really hope Jesus isn't super skinny. Really, guys, that was funny. (laughs) But that's what Jesus is doing to us. Jesus is taking away that, that bit of extra stuff that's not supposed to be there. And it hurts. Can you imagine being chiseled on? what it's like y'all see Jesus looks down or is looking and he says oh there's a little bit of lust there let me knock that off that's painful there's a little bit of greed over here oh you're lying what's the point in that we don't need that and he brings this sculpture to a place where it no longer looks like you and it looks like Jesus That is the point in life. And it hurts. It is uncomfortable. But you know what? The most beautiful things come out of these uncomfortable moments where we we strip it raw. And we say, I'm not worried about me. God, I want to worship you. Did you notice how David said, you're not worried about sacrifices. You're not worried about what I I bring to you as, as, as a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. You're not worried about that. Otherwise, I would have brought that. What you want is my heart. It's time. It's time this morning to get that right. It's time to not let those things keep you from the fulfilled life that God has for you. Not perfect life, but fulfilled life. You can't possibly think that God can use you to your fullest potential while you have a gaping, a gaping gash on your body that is evil. You can't hope 
to think that you will be used to your fullest potential while there is a huge problem in your life. I want to pray for you guys. And as the musicians come up, I want you guys to, to deal with that in your seats. Pray to him. Be contrite. Be humble. Know that it is God. It is not you. And that you need to bring those things to him. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. God, I, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for David. Thank you so much for his willingness to be open and to be raw with us and to show us what it looks like when we are truly experiencing God-centered repentance. God, I pray that you would help me. I pray that you would work on me. I pray that you would give me pure hands and a clean heart. And I pray that you, you would clean me and you would renew me and that you would renew every person in this church. God, I pray that you would allow them to be honest with you and be brave and to open up in that. I know it is difficult for this culture. It is difficult for people in general. But God, show them the importance of what it means to be open and honest to you. God, I can't even imagine the amazing things that could happen in this church when we understand who you are, when we understand how huge you are and how it doesn't matter about anything else. That the stupid things we've done, yes, they have consequences and we have to endure that. But God, we know that your joy comes in the morning. We know that your joy comes out of the ashes. That your beauty comes from the brokenness, Father. We love you and we thank you so much for who you are. Amen. We all stand to your feet.